if you're like me when you come to a place of worship and the hymns are up, I always look at the last hymn to try and gauge what the subject may be. Well, if you've done that, you'll know what my text is this morning. Lamentations chapter 1, verse 12. Lamentations chapter 1, verse 12. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. Verse 12 says, Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto me, like unto my sorrow which is done unto me, wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger. Where do you take your sin? Where can you go and find forgiveness for your sin? Where can you go and, and find a place where you can be reconciled to God? Where can you go and find atonement so you are made at one with God? Is there anywhere you can go? Do you know where you can go? There are certain texts that we read, and I said to the ladies out here, I was on Wednesday, I find this more and more and more, that when I read them I am taken up short. Many of them, as all of us, we're familiar with them, and we read them again, and you're really taken aback. This verse here, the, just the opening uh, Five words, is it nothing to you? I know that feeling. I sat in a pew many, many years and it was nothing to me. Can I go home yet, Mum? Was all you thought? Can we get out of here? And now it is something to us. Is it something to you, what the Lord has done? We are exhorted in Romans 12, verse 1, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. We are to follow our master who presented his body as a willing sacrifice. It's a high calling. Are we prepared to do that? Until he did that, until he could say with divine authority, as we read in John's Gospel, it is finished. It is a finished work, and I cannot overemphasize that. If you are in doubts and concerns this, this morning, then... Ponder those three words. If you remember nothing else, go home and pick up John 19 and read it again. And the words of Jesus Christ, as he breathes his last, he says with a loud voice, contrary to what a crucified victim normally did, they normally gasp and, and, and faded away. He said with a loud voice, it is finished. And we can rest on that entirely. No matter what concerns you have today, that, put that above them. It is finished. He alone was the one who could present his body as a sacrifice for sin. He said, I lay down my life that I might take it again. The disciples heard all of these phrases as he was preaching and teaching them and didn't really understand them until after he had gone. He set his face like a flint. He must go to Jerusalem. And you can imagine something of that from a human point of view. You know there is something you must do, but you don't want to do it. And Jesus Christ was fully human and fully God. And so he must have had something of that wrestle. He knew he must go to Jerusalem. And he went. He said, I and my father are one. When Pilate said, you have no authority over me. Pilate, and, and he had said to say to Pilate, yes, you have no authority. In essence, I have the authority. You don't. Pilate never grasped that, did he? <clears throat> well, most of you will have some knowledge of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, I'm sure. So my question to you this morning, is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? 
Are you like me as a young lad? For many years, it just passed by. You were familiar with the accounts. You could probably speak about the accounts, but they meant nothing to you of any significance. Are there any here this morning or like that? You come in and out under the sound of the gospel. There's a, a hymn, I'm not sure what number it is in Christian hymns, it's in there. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said? Those of you who have heard the gospel again and again and again, what more can he say? Have you not heard all you need to hear? Will you not respond to what you've heard? So who passed by then on this day? Well, the religious of the day, they all passed round on him, wagging their heads and saying, as thou hast destroyed the temple and buildest in three days, save thyself and come down for the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking, said among themselves with the scribes, he saved others, himself he cannot save. There's a, an edge of sarcasm there, isn't there? Well, there was Mary and Mary Magdalene and the sister of Mary and the wife of Cleopas, the disciples, the centurion, the rulers, the malefactors were there, and no doubt a crowd of ghoulish bystanders. There were a lot of people around there. It was a spectacle when someone was crucified, and there were three crucified on that day together. What is it to you? No, no don't ask somebody else what is it to them. What is it to you? Is it real to you? Has it changed your life? Is it changing your life? Are you prepared to allow it to change your life? I don't mean God isn't omnipotent and, and will change your life, but is your heart willing to be changed? Who is this man marred in blood? Of all the armies that ever marched, of all the parliaments that have ever sat, of all the navies that have ever ruled, uh, ruled the sea, of all the kings that have ever ruled, no one has been like this man. No, he formed no political party, he formed no religious sect, he was born in obscurity, he lived in a ne'er-do-well town of Nazareth, you remember the phrase, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Well, there are one or two towns, we can think of that, can't we? We won't name them, but we don't look highly on them, and that's how they thought of Nazareth. He had no education, he had no property, the only thing he had were the clothes that the soldiers divided amongst them. As an adult, he never travelled more than a hundred miles from his home. He never wrote a book, and yet more has been written about him than anyone else has ever lived. He died in ignominy and shame. He was buried in another man's tomb. He was the son of a humble carpenter, and, and his wife, as it was thought, born almost out of wedlock, as it was thought. He had just 12 followers, and one of those sold him for 30 pieces of silver. Another swore and cursed he did not know him. Under pressure, they all forsook him and fled. Yet this man has affected the world like no other man ever has and ever will. Is it nothing to you what Jesus Christ has done, who he is? Can you be familiar with these things and not be affected? I cannot tell why he whom angels worship should set his love upon the sons of men. I, I can't understand that. I can't explain it to you. It's God's sovereign choice and God's sovereign grace. I can declare it to you, but I can't understand it, and none of you can either. <clears throat> Why did he not come down from the cross? Why did not God hear and answer his cries when he said, Why have thou forsaken me? What does his death 
mean to you? Does it mean anything to you? Have you got more on your mind this morning than to ponder what happened 2,000 years ago? Please don't misunderstand me. I know some of you have ones who I know have big things on your mind, big concerns. I understand that. I'm trying to lift you just above, just a couple of rungs above that this morning to think of the, of the great things, the important things. You are either for him or against him. You cannot be in middle ground. There is no middle ground. You are either for or against. Isaiah says, who has believed our report? Have you believed the report? What does John say towards the end of his gospel? He said, oh, no need to turn to it. He said, these things I have written that you might believe. John has written his gospel. He, what, he, he's, he's in essence saying, I'm an eyewitness. I was there. I was there three years with Jesus Christ. I witnessed everything about him and I witnessed his death. I write in these things that you might believe. I'm an eyewitness. Believe me. Isaiah is saying the, th the same thing in prophecy, looking forward. Have you believed our report? Have you? Pilate washed his hands. It's a way of saying it's not my doing. It's become a phrase, isn't it, in our language. We say, I'm washing my hands of this situation. It's not my responsibility. You cannot do this. You need to ask yourself, who is this man, Christ Jesus? Was he deluded? Did he think he was somebody who he wasn't? Some people with severe mental illness do that, don't they? They, they think they're Napoleon or the king or the queen and, and you feel sad for them. They're utterly deluded who they are. Everyone else knows who they are, but they didn't. They don't. <coughs> Was Jesus Christ like that? Was he an imposter? Did he go around trying to persuade other people that he was some great person, that he was the Son of God? You need to ask these questions yourself. Or was he God incarnate? He was either deluded, or he was an imposter, or he said who he was. He was who he said he was. There are no other options. And one day you will stand before him, and you need to be ready to answer, to give an account of that. Pilate said, Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and power to release thee? So by simply washing your hands, can you dismiss him? Even though Pilate's had warned, his wife had warned him, Pilate still went on and washed his hands. What do you see when you come to the cross? What does it mean to you? Have you ever been there? Have you in your mind stepped back as it were and mingled with the crowd around that scene. We can't picture it accurately, can we? We've got no photograph of it or no drawing of it. But we can see the, the three crosses there elevated and we can see the soldiers. And maybe a little bit further back we can see Mary and, and, and the wife of Cleopas and, and Mary's sister and all the other ladies. And, and maybe a bit further back we can see some of the disciples who, who've crept back towards the scene. They all forsook him and fled and now they've come back except Jesus. Maybe we, we can find see that. Do you picture yourself sometimes there? Do you look up at that cross and see a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief on there? Is that where you bring your sin? I trust you do. Some of us carry on sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning. The more I struggle against it, power I sin and stumble, yet the more is some of our experience. Can you bring it there? I trust you can. <coughs> the hand of the Father. There are some 
profound truths in Scripture. You say, well, that's an obvious thing to say. Yes, it is obvious. But have you pondered these profound truths? Let him, for so it seemeth good to him in his sight. It seemed good to God the Father in his sight. Read Isaiah 53, maybe this afternoon. I'm sure you're familiar with it, and you're probably like me. You could recite much of it, if not all of it. But go home and read it slowly this afternoon and think again of what he did. It was no accident. It was no sad turn of events. It's not something that went awfully wrong. We read there these incomprehensible truths. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. His beloved son. He that sped not his own son, but delivered his up for us all. Please, I'm going to repeat, don't be over-familiar with these scriptures. Consider them again. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. It's speaking of the counsel of God, the counsel of the Trinity, before the world was even created, before anything was created. It's speaking of that. There was this sovereign plan of salvation. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the love that brought it down to man. It was there before anything. The king of the earth stood up and the rulers gathered against the Lord, against his Christ. And they still do. Are you one who's doing that? Are you willing now to submit, to come to his feet and to listen to him? Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God. Yet did we, sorry, esteem him stricken or smitten of God and afflicted? We can see the sovereignty of God there. God sovereignly planned and purposed that Jesus Christ would come into the world. He would live. He would die. And you can rest on that. The absolute certainty, the absolute sovereignty of God. As we come to the cross, we we can see the Saviour himself. His will, his absolute control of all events. Many times, in fact the very first time when that first miracle at Cana in Galilee... His mother brought to him the situation, they'd run out of wine, and his answer was, woman, my hour has not come. Three years later, my hour has come. He is here. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him, because his hour was not yet come. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. There was an allotted time, an allotted hour, an actual time in eternity past when Jesus Christ would be crucified. There is an allotted time for every event in our lives. There is a time when we will be born. There is a time when we will be taken. It is known unto him. He said, therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. Jesus Christ was in absolute control but willing to be obedient to his father you remember as he's leaving the, the judgment seat they put the cross or the cross beam on him and he's walking out on the on the ray of sorrow the via dolorosa and he's walking up there towards the where he will be crucified and there are women weeping there don't weep for me weep for yourselves you want a glimpse of his mercy and his grace and his kindness He's going off to suffer the most hideous, gruesome form of torture and death that has ever been devised. Don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. 
Why are you doubting that the Lord will hear and answer your cries? If he will do that, don't weep for me. It's as if to say, my hour now is come, don't weep for me. This is why I came. I must go, and I will go. Peter drew his sword and cut off Malchus's ear, didn't he? Peter, put down your sword. Don't, don't you know that I can call on 12 legions of angels? A legion is 5,000 men. The Lord is using uh, expressions. I can call on 60,000 angels. I don't need your sword, Peter. How may the scripture be fulfilled? He's the sacrifice. He is the atonement. That word, as I'm sure you know, was a William Tyndale invented word when he was translating the Bible. We didn't have the exact word he wanted in English. And so atonement means at one moment. I'm sure you're familiar with that. But how can you be at one with God? God is utterly holy, utterly perfect. You look within your own heart and you see failure and sin and all the time. How can you be at one? Only by what Jesus Christ has done. Is it nothing to you? These things I'm reminding you of this morning. The covenant was fulfilled completely. God made covenants with Noah and Abraham and at Sinai and David. And this was an eternal covenant, as I reminded you, made before the foundation of the world. So uh, the letter to the Hebrews says, so by, by much, so much was Jesus made a surety by a better covenant. It's superior to those old covenants. They were good and right and proper, but this one is far superior. And that's what I want you to believe this morning. We see the depravity of man, don't we? We see it all the time. It has been said if a perfectly holy man came to live upon the earth, man would kill him. <coughs> they did. His name was Jesus Christ. Because everywhere he went, his perfection highlighted their imperfection. Because of his life, man would accuse him. His purity would enrage them. And John Bunyan picks up that in Pilgrim's Progress. You remember in Pilgrim's Progress, they come to Vanity City. And they are enraged because these men want to lead a good life. They want to go through the vanity city. They don't want to be embroiled in it. They don't want to be tainted by it. And they go through. And they were so enraged, they put one of them to death. Well, that's John Bunyan picturing the, the Jesus Christ in, in that sense. I and my father are one, he says. Men love darkness. Their answer is, we have no king but Caesar. Well, they did have a king and they refused to bow beneath him. That is what they thought of him. You don't have to go to Sodom and Gomorrah to see the depravity of men. You only need to put on your iPad or your newspaper, whatever it is, how you get the news. It's there across all your screens all the time. You only have to walk down the street and see it, don't you? You only have to look in here to see it. <coughs> you can go to Calvary. Will you have this man to reign over you? Are you willing? Is he too perfect for you? He would not walk in jury because they sought to kill him. We will not have this man to reign over us. We will crucify him. And they cried out the more, crucify him. When reading that account, I almost don't know how to pronounce, how to, how, what emphasis to put on those words. They are so awful, aren't they? In one sense, you want to speak them loudly so you get the emphasis but they are, you almost want to speak reverently and speak quietly. I never know quite how to read them properly. Crucify him. 
crucify him. That was what they thought of him, and many do today. They may not use that phrase, but in essence, that's what they think. So what do you see if you don't pass by? We see the wages of sin paid, don't we? The price of the law is satisfied. The law has no claim on him. He has paid the debt in full. In World War I, those poor soldiers who suffering from shell shock or other reasons who deserted when they were captured were put against a wall and shot for abandoning under fire for deserting Jesus Christ didn't desert he did not call down those 12 legions of angels he did not come down from the cross to answer the crowd there would have been those who may have taken notice of that he has come down from the cross. He's done a miracle greater than any other miracle. No man has ever come down from a cross, and he has. Maybe there were some who thought that. But it was only their desire to see some miracle. He bore our sin on the tree. At the appointed hour, he willingly gave up the ghost. I've already reminded you of that. But a crucified man was not able to breathe and the breathing got more and more laboured. Every breath they had to push down on, the, on their feet which were nailed to the cross to be able to get, take a breath. And so every breath caused a shooting agony in, a, in addition to the agony they already had. But Jesus Christ called out with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. The debt is paid. Can you say this morning, Alleluia, what a saviour. The law is satisfied. The payment has been made. The payment God cannot demand twice. First at my bleeding short his hand and then again at mine. It is a finished work. I know I'm being repetitive. I want to emphasize these points that you ponder them and think about them. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Are you willing to come there? Is the Lord speaking to your heart this morning? Is he reminding you of what you know? Or is he bringing you for the first time to see him there? Or is it still nothing to you? Are you happy to leave here in a few minutes and go off and forget all about it? Is it nothing to you? Are you of those who pass by again and again? <coughs> If it means nothing or little to you, you must face God on your own. Hebrews 9.27, it is allotted unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Every single one of us must come and stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You must pay for your own transactions, transgressions, sorry. You must pay for your own iniquities, you must receive the just punishment. We as a society demand just punishment, don't we? We want the punishment to be commensurate with the, with the crime. And so it will be with God. If we expect our judges to give good justice and we become indignant when they don't, and there are one or two occasions when we think the sentence is light and we are up in arms quite rightly, do we expect God to be any different? His punishment will be commensurate with our sin. We must hear those words that 
drive fear into my heart. I hope they do yours in Matthew 27, uh, 25. Depart from me, you cursed. Are you willing to take your chance? There's a man, one place I go to, will never say anything about what you've spoken about. You meet him on the door and he wants to talk about his garden or the weather or something. And I did once just press him a little bit. And he said, oh, I think I'll take my chance. How can you do that when you've sat under ministry? Probably most of his life, I don't know. You must stand before a perfect, just and holy God and give an account why you have passed by. You can't say, well, I, I wasn't there, I didn't live 2,000 years ago. You have the most perfect record that could possibly be given you in your hands. No one has ever been able to find fault with the scriptures. Many, many have tried. They've never found any fault. And you have four gospel accounts. And so one sees it from this direction and one from that and another one from that direction. You've heard me say before that we, one of the reasons we have gospel, four gospels is because we get the, the totality of it. I'm a car man. A car drives past here. I'll tell you it was a Mark II Golf. It had a particular set of wheels on it and the exhaust was non-standard. You'd see the same car and you'd say it was a green car with a lady driving it wearing a hat. We, I know I'm going to make you laugh, but we've seen exactly the same thing. Both of our accounts were absolutely true and it's the same with the Gospels. Read the Gospels together and, and John will have one aspect and Matthew another and Luke one another. That's why God has given us the four, so we get the totality of what has taken place. Please do not pass by. Read these things. Familiarize yourself with them again because you must stand before him. Does the holy word make you tremble? It should strike fear into you. One day it will be too late. One day you will breathe your last. I don't know whether you will have a long, slow decline I don't know whether you'll be taken in a moment. None of us know that. We may have both. We may have a long, slow decline and then suddenly be taken anyway. We do not know. So if you take by, as I started to begin with, where will you take your sin? Where will you get atonement? Where can you get forgiveness for your sin? This scriptures, this book, this Bible are full of God's wrath. But one of the wonderful things is that it is more full of his mercy and his grace. And when you read it again and again, you, if you read it with that view, that I used to see grace upon grace with it. Whosoever cometh unto me, what, me, Lord? Yes, you, Lord, I will in no wise cast out. What wonderful grace. Come unto me, all you labour and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's not, I might if you fulfilled certain criteria, no, I will give you rest. For his grace and love are such, none can ever ask too much. That's not scripture, but it's a hymn. And it's based on scripture. It is a book full of grace and mercy. Read it. Listen to it. I know you say, I want, to, I want the word to speak to my heart. <clears throat> of course you do. But it's got to go in for your mind. God has given you a mind. And when it's gone into your mind, then it goes to the heart. He's given us a mind to ponder these things, to think these things. He's given us his word so that we read them. I encourage you to read them. So where can you go and find peace? 
where can you go so that when the time comes you can die in peace? Some of us have got grey hair. There's not much in front compared to what there was behind. We don't know, none of us know. When you get a warning shot across the bowels, how will it make you feel? You think, well, it is the Lord, let him do what seemeth him right. By his grace, he's made me ready. I'm not saying you're proud or arrogant. You are humbly, quietly trusting in what he has done. Are you there? You say, I haven't got dying grace. <clears throat> a lady was very concerned one day and went to Charles Wesley and said, I'm sorry, sorry, but I'm very anxious because I haven't got dying grace. And he said to her, are you dying then? We know the Lord gives those things that you need at the time and he never gives too much and he never gives too little. But do you think of that day when it will come? Are you prepared for that day if it should come suddenly? Is it nothing to you all you pass by? Look and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me, wherewith the Lord has afflicted me in the day of his fast, fierce anger. God's wrath was impressed upon Jesus Christ. It pleased him to bruise him. Why? For the sake of every Christian man, woman and child. Amen. <coughs> Let's sing that hymn that is based on those words. Hymn number 196. All ye that pass by, to Jesus draw nigh. To you is it nothing that Jesus should die? Your ransom and peace, your surety he is. Come, see, if there ever was sorrow like his. Hymn number 196. Oh, 
Father, our closing prayer is that it may be true of every single one of us here this morning that Jesus Christ has died in his place, her place. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.